Hey everyone, I'm so excited to be here and I'd like to introduce my guest that I've got with me today, Dina Hayes-Green. Dina is the co-founder of the Racial Equity Institute and uh, this is a, a wonderful organization. I've had uh, the, the great fortune of going through the, the, the program two times, once when I was at Sam's Club and then most recently uh, here with the team on Walmart on Zoom, which I think Dina was our first, your first session that you ever did this on Zoom. So welcome and thanks for taking the time to come on. Great, thanks, John. Yes, it was our um, first virtual presentation. We really held out for a long time because our in-person sessions are already countercultural in the way in which we come together and meet, um, you know, just in a circle with no tables and devices uh, in between us. And so we held out as long as we could and decided to go virtual. And guess who was uh, first on the schedule? It was Walmart. It was the Walmart team. Very good. And it's, it's such a timely uh, event to have uh, with everything that's gone on in the country. And, and I want to talk about that in just a second. But um, before we get to that, can we just talk about REI? Um, for those that may not know what it is or what you do, could you just give us an overview and and how your path, your, your personal story is a fantastic story and how your path led you to making the decision to do this? Well, the Racial Equity Institute is a organization, a firm based in Greensboro, North Carolina. We started in 2008. Um, prior to that, I had been um, I had the opportunity to attend a workshop called Undoing Racism that was put on by the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. It's one of the oldest, longest running uh, anti-racist organizations in the country. And back in the 90s, I was a human relations commissioner uh, here in the city of Greensboro. And uh, there were community members that had done such an incredible job of organizing that our mayor and our city manager and our city council members and many of our civic and municipal leaders uh, were expected and had gone to the workshop. And so um, so I was invited to go. I didn't go for a long time because I'm a black woman. I was an African-American studies major. I served on the state NAACP executive committee. I was involved in a project back in the 90s when Woolworths were announcing that they were closing hundreds of retail stores and they were going to close the one here in Greensboro, which was the site of the 1960 sit-ins at the Woolworth lunch counter. So along with a two black uh, politicians, a city councilman and a county commissioner, we were involved in an effort to save that building. And we did. The bank wanted to, um, you know, send the, the lunch counter and the stools off to a museum and then demolish the building for a parking lot for the bank. And so I was involved in that kind of stuff. I thought, surely I didn't need to go to an undoing racism workshop. So I hesitated for a long time. And I finally went out of respect for one of the elders in our community. And it changed my life. I just thought I had never seen um, I had never seen and heard um, people put together a framework around race uh, before that was so powerful and offered such clarity and language. And it just filled in so many blanks for me. And then we started the Racial Equity Institute to just broaden the width and breadth of the analysis that I could transfer over into uh, my work as an elected official. So that's why um, we started the Racial Equity Institute to build on on this incredible education that we received. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, to hear you explain it that way because I, I remember the first time I went through uh, the, the workshop for two, it was two days, Monica was here in Bentonville and and uh, it was a fantastic session. And, and I, I had thought, you know, in, in some way, I'm not sure if I should go or spend two days on it. I, I had been on these trips to Selma and Montgomery and walked across the bridge and, and taken a few steps. And I thought I might, maybe I understood a few things, but the way you framed it, exactly what you just described, the framework, you have to go back hundreds of years to actually start to even begin to understand the layers of what has caused our society to end up where we are today. And 
I, I, I certainly I didn't recognize it. And, and then I also, you know, several things that we talked about in the workshop, um, you just don't hear about um, in communities you grow up in, or it may not be taught in, in the school you went to. And so your reality is that which you've been informed about. And, and so certainly I had to, it, it hit me when I went through the first time and the second, and I think I need to do it again and again, because there's, you know, just so many layers to this. You just have to keep unlearning what you think you know and be open to hearing new ideas and, and understand the history of, of the practices and the laws and things that, that got us here. And, and as I said, um, you know, it's a, it's a really moving experience. I, I was uh, not sure how to go on Zoom either, because when you're when you're in the room with a group of people, it's it's really a bonding experience as well. I mean, you learn about other people in the room and and how they got to where they are in life, and that personal connection is just so important. But I think it worked. I, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from the first session. I don't know if you if you've heard the same, but it seems to be working just as well uh, virtually. I did the information. Um, you know, it was mind blowing for me, and it still is. One of the things we say at the Racial Equity Institute that comes from our framework is an organized lie is more powerful than a disorganized truth. And I had fragments of information. I knew some dates. I knew some periods in our history. I knew some incidents and events, but I didn't have it put together so succinctly that just uh, was overwhelmingly clear. And it really changes the way that I ask questions. It, um, it really shapes my curiosity and it was just so powerful. So the session that we had with you all um, was still impactful. Um, it, the, the workshop experience takes you on a continuum of, of feelings. You know, there's anger, there's frustration, there's, um, you know, sadness, um, there's overwhelming. And there's also, a, um, a, you know, uh, how we make a commitment to do something about this. You know, we, we decide that we're not going to live outwardly in ways that contradict what we believe to be the truth inside anymore. Yeah, it, it's it's really powerful the way it's done. And and again, as you said, the framing and trying to understand root causes of things that it's interesting in, in business scenarios and life scenarios, trying to understand root cause is important, but it's really hard to understand root cause when you don't even know that you recognize the symptom of what's happening around you. Um, there are th concepts that we we talked about, like like redlining in the 1930s that I didn't have that much understanding. But then when you go across communities and and you cross landmarks, you recognize that this is something that is still in, you know, affecting people's lives today. But that, that's just one example. There are so many others. Um, and I also think um, the way that you frame the information would be great to talk about for just a second, because it's not emotional. It's it's factual. It it, it has an emotional effect on people. But it's just you, you, you as a your, your center has decided, the Institute has decided to take a very rational, factual approach to this. And it, I think it does, it does things to people and helps you unwind you know, what you were thinking about and helps unravel some of the biases we may have. But how, how did that come about? Well, I think as we um, experienced so many different trainings and education around race and racism, we started to think about how we put this together so that it's, uh, it resonates with people. And it's an integration of stories and statistics. You know, people tell stories and those stories are so impactful. You know, we tell stories about, um, you know, how we sent troops over to uh, France in World War One because of racism in the military. People didn't want 
black soldiers and Puerto Rican soldiers fighting under the American flag. People are appalled by that. But they went over to France and they they spent more time on the front lines than any other American regiment. And they were um, honored and awarded. And General Pershing sends a letter over to the French military commission and says, you know, don't honor these men. And then we have data and we have statistics. And um, you know, people are uh, provoked to hear that black babies are three times more likely to die under the care of a white physician than 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 white babies. Uh, so, so it's the combination of history and stories and statistics and and policies and practices all put together um, that. Um, I remember presenting this to a group of school resource officers. And afterwards, their sergeant came up to me, John, and he said, I'm not buying what you're selling, but the information's undeniable. And that was one of the most profound things that someone's ever said to me in this mm. workshop. It was the clash, it was the clash of a of ideolo- of an ideology and, and information. And, uh, you know, I looked at him for a minute and I was just saying to myself, I'm just like, Sergeant, if you can just hang in there, if you can just, if you can just sit with those two things long enough, um, you know, something really powerful can happen here. Um, So I I hope that, um, you know, there are people around him as you all are doing at Walmart is sort of building the consciousness and awareness, putting people through an experience so that there's this shared understanding so that we can talk each other through that. Mm-hmm. sit there long enough to integrate those contradictions and reconcile them, uh, we might be able to really get somewhere in this country. Yeah, I think you have to be certainly open, but just the, the fact that this person acknowledged that there are facts that he wasn't going to dispute as a start. Um, yeah. you, know, I, I, you know, me personally, I'll, I'll never know what it's like to be black in America. Um, I, have, I have lived abroad a couple times, so I do understand a bit about what it's like to be a minority in a, in a society, but I'll never understand because I just I, I haven't lived the life, I haven't walked in the shoes. And, and for people that you know, clearly are, are not black in America who are, are wanting to learn and understand, or, or maybe not, you know, what's the best way for someone you know, that, that's walked in my shoes or grew up the way I did to at least start to listen and be open? So what advice do you have to people to, to engage in the conversation in a way that's productive? Well, one, I think um, people need role models and mentors too. White people need people to um, to be able to call on, to hear, to um, to learn that you have uh, yourself committed to a process, and that now you have information, and um, that you can um, you can influence. You have reach. You have um, you know your experiences are so relevant to other white people. And for you to be able to talk about that, I think um, has been missing in our society. White people haven't had mentors. They haven't had role models. They haven't had anyone to talk to them. They haven't uh, been able to talk about things that um, they have questions about without fear of of, of it being misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really important. And people of color also need places. They need to be able to be heard. They need to be able to be believed. Uh, they need to be able to talk without someone explaining or questioning their experiences. And so I think uh, we have to agree that we're going to start this work. And one of the things I relate starting anti-racism or racial equity work, it's like a detox crisis when you decide you want to go and start juicing and eating better. Mm-hmm. You know what happens? You start feeling worse before you feel better. <laughs> That's true. Uh, because you're starting to... <laughs> You're starting to unearth some stuff. And some people think that the hardest part was deciding to do the work. It's like, no, it's when the work starts. Yeah. And so my advice is to for those who have started, stay in it. For those who haven't started, get in it. 
um, to know that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say the wrong thing. I saw an article the other day that said anti-racism arguments are tearing us apart. And my colleague and co-founder, Suzanne Plissick, says, you hurt who you can reach. And, um, and that can be very disruptive to uh, the work of trying to move forward together and understanding why we are where we are in this society. So just be aware of those pitfalls and know mm-hmm. they're coming and, um, you know, let's develop the muscle to stay in this and push forward and push through. Uh, it's great. It's great advice. Um, you know, along the way, I've, I've, I've said things that I think my intent was right, but maybe the words weren't always right. And I've been fortunate to have people around me who 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 will teach me, and I have to, of course, listen and ask for advice. But you know, we we do need to recognize intent and bring people along. And I've got to, I have to be, you know, people like you have to bring me along. Um, that you know, that clearly understand the topic better than I do, and people on my team have as well. But it it starts with the uh, the desire to listen. And you know, for me personally, I've, I've, if you go through my personality data, you'd probably learn I'm not a great listener. It's something I've had to to learn to do over time, and I've had to adapt to hearing things and repeating back what others say to make sure that I take the time uh, to listen. And and it is a big piece of this. You know, this summer um, after George Floyd was was murdered, um, the country, um, you know, s- certainly began to, uh, in some ways, bring this issue right to the front again. And, and it's, it's not just about this one person because this has happened more than once and continues to, uh, but that was certainly an event that, that um, brought this back to the top of the list of the things that we've, we've got to address. And you know, for me personally, I've got kids at home who, who were asking questions and didn't understand it and crying about you know, learning about what their friends must be going through um, that they didn't even recognize before. So you know, being in the, in, in going through the, the workshop previously helped some. I think the second time uh, the summer was even more meaningful because the topic had become so more relevant to so many people all across the country and continues to be. So Dean, I'd love to just hear, um, and now that um, that, that happened and, and and other things have happened as well, it, you know, there, there's a lot that we've got to work through, but, um, you know, for businesses and business people, you know, where do we, where do we go from here? How do we help, help our colleagues come along and, and what should we be thinking about uh, it, I would say at work. We're not at work. We're certainly um, working virtually in many cases, but many of us are at work. We've got associates in our stores who are in stores every day in distribution centers. And when we're out in stores, you know, what should the things we, we what should we be thinking about and, and watching for in the workplace? Yeah, well, I think paying attention to what's happening in our society. I was watching a documentary the other day that just came out about Yusef Hawkins, who was a young black man. Uh, in Bedford-Stuyvesant in New York, a, a you know a historically black community, and went over to a historically white Italian community um, uh, in um, in Brooklyn, uh, Bensonhurst, to look for a car. And a lot of things had happened that um, created a really unfortunate situation. And he was uh, attacked by uh, he and his friends were attacked by a white mob and murdered. And I was looking at this was 1989, and before that, 1986, there was Michael Griffin, uh, who was a young black kid that also went. Um, you know, over to Howard Beach, um, you know, for looking for something and uh, was chased and ran into a highway, onto a highway and was killed and uh, very tragic incidents. But John, I was looking at what happened, um, you know, the, the unrest and the rage that happened in 1986 and 1989. And they look very different. They look very different um, because it was um, white citizens against black citizens. You know, it was white activists and leaders against white activists and leaders. And today we have such a multiracial movement of people that are coming together. And that is because there have been decades and decades of, that was 30 years ago. And over those 30 years, 
Uh, people have uh, continued to name systemic racism as an issue, to name structural racism as the foundation and the roots of this problem. And they have stayed that course so much so that the movement now is reflective of such diversity. And so I think we have to acknowledge the impact that that has had. So corporate leaders, you know, private sector um, leaders are now um, responding to that and listening to that. And I think staying the course there, you know, knowing that uh, we're going to start, it doesn't mean that we're not going to change course as we go, because we're going to learn a lot more about this. Um, and that you're, um, you know, you have a, a huge, 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 one of the largest workforces in the country. And so um, how, how you um, continue to help people know that um, people are living very different lives based on race. Mm -hmm. um, and that race even transcends socioeconomic status. Race transcends gender. Race transcends ability. Um, and how we help our, um, you know, our colleagues at work, um, you know, with this analysis and framework that'll help them work more effectively together. And, um, you know, um, I, I think it's a, um, a new time. I think this is a moment uh, and an opportunity for us um, to use the workplace um, as a, a, a classroom, uh, use the workplace as a, uh, an environment where people are beginning to understand why we're seeing what we're seeing and pull people in um, mm -hmm. instead of um, continuing to exacerbate the wedge that has been going on Between. for centuries. Yeah, I, I love that pull people in. And, and it also just makes the workplace better. I mean, having a, having a diverse work team that understand the entire society and all the customers, and in our case, the customers we solve and our associate base. And, and you know, as I said, I, I can understand what it may be like to be me. I may not understand the others, but the rest of the team cer certainly can help. And it reminds me, Dean, of a, a phrase I use sometimes, you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you put the mask on the person beside you. So you do have to start with yourself in some ways and, and be reflective. But my question is, um, this work, I'm sure it's, it's hard work, it's exhausting, it's emotional, and you do it day after day after day. So how do you, how do you sustain your own oxygen mask and how do you keep going? Um, I'm, I'm sure there are days that are frustrating and there are probably days that you feel like you made progress and others where you probably had resistance all day, but you, you keep going. So how do you do it? How do you, how do you stay motivated and, and how do you keep pushing ahead? Well, um this is the most um, life-giving work I've ever done. Um, it was hard not knowing why I was seeing what I was seeing. Um, didn't really have an, an explanation. You know, my mom gave me some answers. I received answers from other people, but um, they just didn't um, explain things fully. And so when I went to a, a workshop, they say, when you hear the truth, it resonates with you. And it did. Mm -hmm. uh, I keep this picture of Harriet Tubman behind me because I remember um, the brutal terror that Black people faced, this incredible heart-wrenching sacrifices that they had to make so that I could be here doing the work. Look, I'm sitting here talking to, to you. I'm sitting here talking to one of the most influential retail operations in the country about race and racism. They did the work that allowed me to be here to do that today. So there is no way I wouldn't do this. Yeah. I am incredibly grateful um, that um, they did that kind of heavy lifting. And so um, we say that there's joy in this journey. And, um, you know, it is um, heart-wrenching um, and it is 
frustrating um, to see the statistics and the stories and the studies come one after the other. Right now, we're sitting here dealing with the manifestation of structural racism um, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and um, what's happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin right now, what happened to Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and Eric Garner and so many others. We're also seeing the manifestation of structural racism and COVID-19 um, hospitalizations, diagnosis and deaths. And we're also seeing it in education mm -hmm. that kids who have always been left behind will be left further behind. We have no choice but to do this mm -hmm. and to continue this. And we do that with the inspiration and the admiration for people who risk their lives for us. Well, I, I just want you to know, I, I really admire your tenacity, your drive, and, and so many have done so many for all of us to get us to this, this point, as you said, where we can even have this conversation and, and try to share a point of view and invite others in. We would love you know everyone to just, just take time and learn and listen and, and be part of the conversation. And I just want you to, and uh, Monica, who's not on today, but you and, and your colleague to know you've had a, definitely had an impact on me in the way that I've been able to learn, listen, and think through these issues. Um, it's complex. Uh, time won't fix it. Actions will. Words will. But but this isn't something that you can just let passively continue on because it's been going on for so long. We've all got a role to play, and it's the right thing to do for for everyone that uh, we come in contact with and work with. But Dean, I just I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time, not only today but uh, the days and, and hours you've spent with with our team helping us learn how. How this works and if there's if it's like anything you'd like to say in closing it would be great i just want to um say that i'm excited and appreciate um walmart um stepping into this really complex um challenging difficult charged highly charged issue and conversation in this country and um we don't go anywhere we're not invited um, so thank you for inviting us to come in and struggle through this issue with you. And um, and thank you to all of your um, your your workforce, your colleagues, your your leaders, your um, frontline workers, all of the people who are also struggling every day. You know, coming to work and having to deal with um, such a heavy burden. We say that racial equity isn't yeah. a workshop; it's who you become. That's right. And so. So we're really glad to be with you all in this journey. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for recognizing the front line. They're, they're dealing with so many layers of complexity between the health crisis and the racial crisis and the economic crisis all, all stacked on top of each other. And they're just done a, they've done a fantastic job taking care of each other and their customers. And we're so grateful. But Dina, thank you so much. Um, look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thank you, John. My best to you and your colleagues. Thanks. <laughs>